to go ahead and start. Welcome to the Prosperous Sunday meeting. The Prosperous is a school of ontology, which means the science of being. Richard Hartnett is with us today. Richard is someone I have known for a very long time. I first met him in 1965 when we attended a small high school together. Later, we discovered that we both had moved to California and we renewed our friendship and Richard joined the Prosperos. Richard is a member of the High Watch of the Prosperos since 1975 and a mentor since 1983. He teaches for the Prosperos as often as he has the opportunity to do so. He's a published author of four books, The Call of the Soul, The New Old Gods, The Evolutionary Tarot, and The Not-So-Minor Arcana. Um, next year, he'll be publishing The Return to Paradise. Richard now is continuing an ongoing series on the reinterpretation of Judeo-Christian mythology. And today he speaks on the hidden power in mythology. What is mythology and why is it important to us? So let's welcome Richard. Thank you, Ben. Um, very nice introduction. Um, so as Ben was just saying, I'm, I've been working very hard on a new book, uh, that I'm calling the return to paradise. Um, you know, everything I've done, every, everything that, um, uh, I do, even my tarot practice, it's always been about how do I, um, interest people in the teachings of the Prosperos, because to me, it is the most powerful teaching that I've come across. And I, I feel it's, uh, it has so much power uh, for transformation of our world. And it certainly has transformed my world. Um, and I, but it's always been somewhat of a challenge trying to explain exactly what it is that we do. Uh, and so I've gone about looking at many different things to try to find something, some common language that people could um, relate to um, and help to make sense out of uh, what it is that we do. So um, one of the things that we often come across in the Prosperous teachings is mythology. Uh, in our RHS class in particular, there are several mythological stories. Now, it's interesting when I say that, I'm talking about uh, stories from the Bible, like the story of Job, the story of Joseph, the story of Moses. And um, I think one of the great gifts that Thane gave to us is his ability to look at these stories and to reinterpret them and to make them uh, vital for people's lives. And I think that is one of the things that we do in the Prosperous is we help people to relate to stories 
because stories have always been uh, useful to people. Um, as long as people have sat around campfires and shared stories about um, the world, um, we've always had stories about the universe and our, or the world and our place in it. And we refer to these stories as myth. Now, it's an interesting word because people will use the word myth uh, as if the stories that belong to other cultures like Indian culture or Native American culture or African culture or Greek culture even, we say, well, those are myths. But when you say that the stories from the Bible are also myths, uh, some people get offended by that idea um, because they think that the word myth means it's not something that's true. And so what I thought about was that myth actually, when we use the word myth, uh, there are many contradictory meanings that people have. Um, so you got to be, you have to be careful about the words that you use because uh, when we say the word myth, uh, for some people, uh, they're going to hear that as that a myth means something that's not true. So one of the things that I did, as we often do in the Prosperos, is I said, all right, let's go look at what does the word myth mean? Um, myth is, uh, first of all, it's stories. Myths are stories. Um, but when we talk about myth, what we're usually talking about is something that involves what we would call the supernatural, like supernatural beings or supernatural, uh, you might say gods. Uh, the concepts that are conveyed in myths have to do very often with how did the world come about? What is the... Um, our mythology explains um, who created or what created the universe. And the, the stories often, um, as I said, tell us about some sort of supernatural being. And as we be look at the world from a scientific perspective, there's a tendency more and more to sort of think, well, myths are not true. That we don't, uh, science would say, well, we really don't see much evidence of any kind of supernatural forces or whatever from their perspective. But the truth of the matter is when you look at it carefully, what you do find is that there is evidence of there being something greater than mankind, um, some sort of cosmic force that's behind all of evolution, all of creation. Um, there is um, so many things that are required for life to exist on this planet. So many different little variables that if, if the temperature of the planet was 10 degrees hotter or 10, 10 degrees cooler, there's a possibility that life would have never come about on this planet. If there wasn't the right, the right combination of uh, atmosphere, you know, the percentage of oxygen and carbon and, uh, and what we can breathe, um, if that wasn't right, that the formula of the air was different, life would not exist on this planet. There's so many very fine variables that have to be in perfect relationship to each other in order for life to come forth. And when you look at all of those variables, I think you can't help but feel like there has to be something that's sort of guiding the whole process along. 
And for those of us who work with our, our dreams, or those of us who like myself work with the tarot cards, you see and experience on a daily basis that there is some sort of cosmic energy. Um, I, I have had some pretty amazing experiences in my life with animals. And I'll just share a little story with you um, that sort of illustrates this point. And the point is, if you're not open to the presence of spiritual energy, if you're not open to some sort of cosmic force, then you don't necessarily, you, you, you're not gonna see it. You, if you don't have a concept for it in your mind, but if your mind is open, then you can experience that cosmic energy on a daily basis. And so here's a simple little example. Um, I studied Native American spirituality for four years. And part of that study process was I uh, studied the, the, the peace pipe. And um, part of the way you, you study the pipe is you actually have to go through the process of creating your own pipe. And that was an incredible experience for me. It really tested my patience. You have to work with a stone called catlinite. And catlinite is very um, subtle stuff. Uh, it can be really soft or it can be really hard. And if you're trying to mold a piece of catlinite into a bowl, the thing that you put the tobacco in uh, so that you can have a pipe, um, if, you, if you push it too hard, you could fragment the stone and have to start all over. And that happened to me several times, really tested my patience. Uh, it was a really good lesson for me about developing patience. So creating my pipe was a, a, a very personal, personal experience, a very transformative personal experience. And having a pipe means a great deal to me. But the other day I was thinking about that what is going to happen to my pipe when I'm no longer here? I hadn't really thought about putting it in my will, um, but it got me, I just got me thinking about it. And I um, realized that in a couple of weeks, I'm gonna go down to New Mexico to this retreat center that I've been going to for 30 years. Uh, I basically rent this place and I'm gonna go with some friends and we're gonna have a little mini vacation. It's a place I often go to write. And I thought to myself, you know what I think I wanna do is I think I wanna just take the pipe and gift it to the retreat center to have it be there for people to use for ceremony. That way I know that after I'm not here, the, I know the pipe will still continue to be functional. So I sort of had this idea and I thought, well, this is a really cool thing to do. Um, but I wasn't sure, you know, my, you know, should I hold on to it a little bit longer? I may be here another 10 years or 20 years, who knows? But I thought it was a, I thought, you know, maybe I should give this serious consideration. So the next day after I was thinking about this, uh, I went for a walk with my dog and with my partner, Dorothy, and we're walking along this trail. Uh, it's called the Highline Canal. And, um, and we're sort of in the middle of the city, but this canal sort of winds its way through the city. And um, for my, ever since I studied Native American spirituality, I'd always hoped that someday I might actually have an experience with a bald eagle. Because in, from Native American perspective, if you have an encounter, if you actually just see uh, an animal, that is what 
that's an encounter and that there's meaning to seeing the animal. Uh, and in Native American thinking, their mythology is that the, the white the bald eagle is the most powerful medicine, most powerful spiritual energy. And it's like the great creator spirit talking to you directly if an eagle shows up in your world. Well, that's never happened to me. I mean, I, I wanted it, I'd hoped for it, and I'd looked for it, and I keep hearing all the time, there's eagles around, but I never saw one. Well, on the next day after I had this thought about the pipe, I'm walking down this trail with Dorothy and my dog, Ziggy, and I, we look up and there's a bald eagle sitting in this tree. First time ever for me, I'm seeing one in the wild sort of. And I'm blown away and I thought, well, you know, if that's not a clear message from spirit, that my thought about leaving the pipe at the retreat center is right, I don't know what else would be. I mean, it was to me a, a symbol uh, of spirit talking to me and telling me this is the right thing to do. And as we got closer to the bald eagle, he actually did a little grooming thing. And a little bit of his down uh, sort of blew off in the air, little fine feathers, but also one of his bigger feathers came off of his body and floated to earth uh, so that I was able to pick it up, which I did. Now, technically you're not supposed to do that unless you're Native American, but my teacher, a Native American person said, you know, if your attitude is an attitude of respect, then uh, it would be okay. So I, I got that feather. So my point about this is that there is energy, there is spiritual energy in the universe and our mythological stories teach us about the way to actually experience in a more direct way, this higher intelligence and to participate in the evolutionary process. Because the more I look at the world, what, the more I study myth, the more I look at um, everything that's going on, the more I see that what the story has been since the beginning of time from the Big Bang forward is it's been about the development of consciousness. It's about the evolution of consciousness. And um, uh, nothing is more important than that, I think. And I think it's, uh, if we study myth, uh, I think we can really um, have more of a direct experience of knowing and participating in that evolutionary process. So um, what I wanted to share with you guys today is this idea of that there are several different ways that relate, relate to myth. As I was saying, uh, we actually uh, have um, different attitudes. Uh, some of us will look at myth and, and uh, think of it as not being true. So I'm gonna do a screen share right now you guys. All right, now you guys can see this is five ways we relate to myth. Thank you. I'm, technology sometimes is a little bit of a bear. All right, so uh, the first way that some people relate to myth, as it says here, is they think that what the word myth means is it's like an urban legend. Uh, you hear people say, oh, that's just a myth. Um, that there, we feel that there's no truth to the story whatsoever. And that it's like an urban myth would be people, uh, people were afraid that um, at Halloween that there were people out there that are putting razor blades and apples to, to mess with kids. And 
the truth of the matter is that nobody ever did that. It just somehow or another that became a legend that got circulated. And there's all sorts of little stories like that that go around um, that we say is myth. And when we say that, what we're really saying is that the word myth means it's not true. And people have come to take that attitude about myth in part because science uh, has said, well, there's, there's no substance to uh, all of the different mythological stories. Where, you know, like there's no Zeus up in the clouds throwing a lightning bolt, or there's no um, Jehovah sitting on a throne or whatever. And, uh, but that is science looking at things from a very uh, literal uh, form, uh, from a level of things have to be in physical form in order for them to be real, in order for them to be substantial. There's an inability to see beyond uh, what the physical universe presents us which leaves us in sort of in a state of poverty. The second way we relate to myth is we relate to myth as metaphor. Uh, in that case, um, as, it, as I've got my notes here, myth is considered to be a, strictly a product, um, let me get, uh, scroll down here, a product of our imagination, that it has no basis in fact, that we just made the thing up and it's not literally true, but we may feel that the, myth, the story has some value to us if we look at it at, metaphorically. And there is value when looking at any story from any culture when we learn how to look at it as metaphorical. And what that requires is for us to learn the language of symbology. Um, all cultures have different symbolic systems. And if you're going to look at like I was just talking a few minutes ago about Native American spirituality and in their symbolic system, the bald eagle, the bald eagle is a very important symbol for the presence of spirit. Uh, Western culture, you know, may not, uh, you know, we wouldn't necessarily look at it that way at all. We just think bald eagles are cool or maybe we think it's a, you know, a symbol for America. We don't see the spiritual component. So when we think about myth as metaphor, it can have value for us um, when we learn to work with it um, by seeing it as, as symbolically. Uh, but like I said, we may have to learn the different symbolic systems that we work with. Um, so there's that. The third level uh, of the way we interact with myth is what I call heroic myth. Um, and this is one of the, as I said here, it's one of the most significant ways guidance is conveyed to mankind through symbology. As, and we have to think about in the story, a heroic myth, um, that, the, the, that the symbol has got meaning that we may not have words for. Now, to understand that, you have to think about the difference between a symbol and a sign. No, think about you, you go to the corner of, of the street and there's a red hexagon. Even if you can't read the letters, you know that that shape of that hexagon and the fact that it's red is telling you that it's a stop sign. So it's a sign conveying a very specific piece of information that you, you, that you use in driving your car. Even if you were uh, in another culture where they use a different language, if you saw that shape, you would probably understand that that means you need to stop at that intersection before you proceed. Now that's a sign. A symbol is a different thing. 
a symbol conveys to you that there's something important in it. There's something important in the story. There's something important in a visual thing that we may see like a color or a piece of art or a drawing or something. Uh, we see something and we have a sense that there's that it has meaning, but we may not know exactly what the meaning is, but it speaks to us. Uh, we have an emotional response to it. We sense that there's something important there and that to figure out what that is, we have to spend some time with it. We have to be present with it and in a way, let the symbol talk to us and lead us to deeper levels of understanding. Now, in Greek mythology, and you know, Greek mythology is something that uh, most cultures will talk about because their, um, their mythology is full of really powerful symbols uh, that when you learn to, uh, to not take them literally and you start playing with them, they become very relevant. The first two books that I wrote, The New Old Gods, and the call of the soul are both about learning about Greek mythology. And when you learn to see it symbolically and you learn to uh, look at these stories and sort of identify with the central character, the protagonist, who's often called the hero, that you learn that within yourself, there's the same kind of capacity. There's the same uh, ability that you have to be heroic. And what does a hero do? What a hero does is he will interface with some danger in his environment, you know, whether it's a dragon or whether it's a, a god or whether it's the, the Kraken, uh, you know, like Dot plays uh, Mahjong all the time. And um, there's something in there where they, they say, uh, Crake or Kraken or something, and I'm always going, release the Kraken, you know, which is saying that Mahjong. It's kind of a funny little word. But anyway, there's all these different, uh, um, you know, difficult creatures, like, you know, the classic one that uh, I talk about in the New Old Gods is the Medusa. Uh, there's a lot to that story. And that creature, um, in, the, in our mythology, we all know this, that if you look at the, the Medusa directly, it can turn us to stone. Well, uh, this, this uh, hero, his name is uh, uh, Theseus. He goes uh, to the island where the Medusa is and he is able to actually disempower uh, the Medusa from being able to do that, turn people into stone. Well, that whole story is a metaphor for dealing with some wound that you have within yourself that literally stops you from moving forward in your life. Um, it turns you to stone so you are not able to interact with your world. So heroic myths often gives us a model for facing some sort of difficulty, facing some sort of obstacle or challenge in our life and figuring out how to overcome them. But to really understand the story, you have to understand what the symbols are. You have to understand what the, the symbolic meaning is because a symbol is a key that literally unlocks the door into the, into the, between the known and the unknown. It helps you to get to that deeper level of truth. And how you're gonna know 
that there's meaning in a great mythological story is you'll react to it emotionally. We all know that uh, for quite some time, we've been uh, very, very uh, interested in and emotionally responding to this whole mythological story of the Star Wars. And George Lucas says that he wrote that story largely based upon uh, symbology, uh, based upon mythology is what, excuse me, that's what I want to say, mythology. So that's, um, that's you know, that, that there is value in looking at the stories from the past, the mythological stories from the past, and learning how to unlock the symbolic language um, and, and using those stories as sort of a model for ourselves in terms of how we interact with our world. Because we all need guidance. We all need to have some, something outside of the ego, something greater than the ego to sort of lift us up beyond the limits of our ego. Now, the final way that we relate uh, to myth is what I call spiritual dialogue. Now here, myths include not just the stories of the past, like the Greek mythology, but it also includes the stories of our dreams and our daytime visions. Uh, sometimes we're daydreaming and we get some sort of uh, story that comes floats through our consciousness. And those stories literally are spirit talking to us. Now, I'm not talking about spirit as if it's some anthropomorphic being sitting on a throne or something that's apart from us. In fact, one of the major things I'm trying to get across as a teacher is recognizing that there is spiritual energy that surrounds us all the time. And that we have this ability to be dialogue with this higher self. And that the process of dialogue with that higher self will help us to transcend our own personal limitations. But to do that, you have to be, you have to trust that there is guidance that's available to us. Now, as I said, um, I work with dreams a lot. Uh, I help people uh, interpret dreams. I, I hang on my shingle at these metaphysical fairs. And there's two things now that I, I used to do all the things like palmistry and astrology, but I've narrowed my focus down to just the tarot and to dream analysis because I feel like those are the ones that really speak to me and those are the ones that I have the most confidence in. And so I do dream analysis for people at these fairs. And it's funny because invariably somebody will come up and say, oh, I'd really like you to do a dream analysis for me. Uh, because my dreams don't make any sense at all. And I always chuckle because I know that the dream is going to be really powerful and really useful because it's, it's, it's written in symbolic language. And my job uh, when I'm doing the dream analysis is helping people to decode what the dream is saying to them symbolically. And I think that's a really interesting thing that dreams don't, uh, they're not written in literal stuff, they're written in symbolic stuff. And what I think that says to us is we have to have the right attitude. We have to have an open mind. We have to trust that there is a guiding intelligence in the universe and that intelligence is seeking to give us support and direction. Uh, and if we trust that, and then we learn symbolic language, we learn about metaphor, then we can find 
that um, our dreams can be very useful in terms of helping us to figure out what's the next challenge in our life in terms of our own spiritual process. Um, and I think that uh, to work with that, um, I think it really, it's really important for us to understand the difference between spirituality and religion. So I'm gonna stop this share at this point and just continue on. Um, well, to me, one of the challenges that we often face is um, religion becomes sort of self-serving. It becomes sort of um, rigid in the way it looks at things. Um, it has, religion has value because it is a spiritual foundation. But when we get too rigid and we don't allow um, our spirituality to be vital, we don't allow it to evolve, we don't allow it to be dynamic, then I think it, religion starts to lose its worth. And, um, you know, there are people in science who would say, well, let's, ab let's abandon religious belief altogether because very often people, be when they get too caught up in a religion, become fanatical and they engage in some really inappropriate behavior and science, you know, would argue that we'd be better off just not to have it all together. But I think that anything, uh, whether it's science or whether it's religion can be used uh, or misused and it depends upon our attitude towards it. And it depends upon our openness to the goodness of the universe, the, the, the order of the universe to the intelligence of the universe. Um, so we have to recognize that each of us has a very personal relationship with the universe and each of us has our own symbolic system. Each of us has um, a relationship with mythology itself. And when you are open to mythology um, in a larger context outside of just a specific religion, if you're open to finding the intelligence, uh, the guiding intelligence of the universe in any and all stories, well, then your life becomes more rich because you have a lot more to draw upon. I, I am very much uh, an advocate of, I love Greek mythology. I, it's really spoke to me when I was a kid and I, I like to talk about Greek mythology, but I ran into this feeling that like uh, not everybody shares my passion. And that's what sort of got me to the point of like going, I need to start talking about uh, Christian mythology. But to do that, I have to get across this idea that when I say mythology, I'm not saying that it's not true. Like the first interpretation of the way we use the word myth, saying it's something that's not true, and get across this idea that mythology is like this, this dynamic relationship between us and the, and the transformative force, the, the force behind evolution. And that we can be conscious participants in the evolutionary process if we're open to the fact that we can have a very personal relationship with the universe. That story that I shared with you about the eagle was a, was a profound experience for me. But the, the bigger takeaway that I hope you get from me sharing that story is that any of us can have that kind of experience. We don't need to earn 
or be, uh, strive to become worthy of the guidance from this higher intelligence. That higher intelligence surrounds us. It's present everywhere. Um, and it's available to us. Uh, we just have to be open to it. We have to know that there is an energy in the universe that does love us and does, um, but like we say in the Prosperous all the time, love is the opening door. We have to open the door between ourselves and that higher intelligence that is a part of ourselves. It's not something apart from ourselves. Um, you know, one of the uh, pieces that I wanted to work on uh, in this book, The Return to Paradise, is the, is the Garden of Eden myth, because one of the key ideas in that story is that we got exiled from being in the presence of spirit. And that the takeaway from that is that we're sort of in this world, uh, like this is a prison. We've been exiled to this place and that this is not a great place to be. Uh, but if we, if we could instead see this world as an expression of paradise, if we could see this world as a place where we can and do have a relationship with that higher intelligence all the time, that would significantly change the way we live our lives. What we teach in the Prosperos is we teach two powerful tools, and these tools are very much about bridging between the ego and the higher self. These tools actually open our consciousness to knowing and experiencing that we are that higher intelligence, that we're not something apart from that. At any given time, we all have ego. But ego is just how we're defining ourselves in any given moment. That the, how you see yourself now is very, very different than the way you saw yourself when you were in high school. When I first met Ben, the relationship that we had was, was pretty different than the way the relationship we have now. Or you think about what it was like when you were a kid and the way you looked at the world. Our egos are always changing. But the problem with the ego is it's, it's very much wants to preserve itself. And it, it can get really good at distracting us from opening it up to that higher intelligence. Because when we open to that higher intelligence, well, the old ego sort of falls away and a new definition of ourselves occurs. Um, and, you know, one of the big problems we have is we get too attached to the truth that we do know. And we forget sometimes to open ourselves up to knowing or discovering some new truth. And that's the, the tools of RHS, releasing the hidden splendors, RHS is the short term description of that. That class, uh, releasing the hidden splendor and translation are both about having a dialogue with spirit. And that requires that we recognize that even if we know some truth, about the universe, we don't know all of the truth about the universe, and that we need that higher intelligence to speak to us, to inspire us, to lift us up above the limits of the ego. Now, some of you probably have heard about Nietzsche. Uh, he was a famous German philosopher, and he's the one that said, is God dead, or God is dead? And um, that's a pretty controversial concept. And when you actually look into what Nietzsche was saying, 
what he was saying was the old image of God or the creative force uh, is outdated. That, you know, the idea of uh, some uh, anthropomorphic being sitting on a throne uh, or throwing lightning bolts or whatever, all that, that imagery is outdated and it needs to change. We need to change the way we see spirit. And one of the things I really love about Native American spirituality is that they say that spirit is everywhere. That, you know, that its spirit is, was directly there in that dialogue that I was having between myself and the bald eagle. Uh, I really trusted that that was a message from spirit. And we can all have those kinds of experiences. And that actually working with releasing the hidden splendor is working by, to overcome the limits of the ego, to lift us above the limits of the ego into a more expansive place of consciousness in which we can experience thing, we can experience that higher self in a more direct way. Now, um, when Nietzsche said that God is dead, Unfortunately, there are some people that took that as a very literal thing. And as I said earlier, science sometimes is somewhat guilty of this idea of thinking that we are all there is, that the ego is all there is. And it can be very dangerous uh, when we think that way because the ego starts to think that it knows best how to deal with the world. Um, and that can be a disaster. The if you look at the mythology, if you look at the spiritual or metaphysical influences that were operating in Germany uh, prior to World War II, uh, they very much were influenced by Nietzsche, but they took that uh, idea and they said, we have to become, uh, or we are the master race. We just have to own that we are the master race and we're gonna fix the world. And they really believed that they were going to fix the world through the things that they did. And we all know what a disaster that whole thing was. But the greater lesson about that is that without some sense of something greater than the ego, uh, we are, you know, we're really, really likely to get into trouble. And when you work with RHS and translation, you're really opening up to that higher consciousness and that higher consciousness will uh, expand you. It will open you to a whole new world uh, that literally is a paradise. Um, when I um, had that encounter with the eagle, to me, it was, it was like a moment of being in paradise. And um, that's what this book is about. That uh, the next book that I'm working on right now, and it's a challenge to write it because I'm I'm really concerned about people in some way might think that I'm putting uh, any religion down. I, I'm not doing that. I, that is not my intention to say that there is no value in any particular religion. But I think uh, my message is that any religion it may have wisdom but it does not represent a final understanding that we always need to be looking for a greater level of understanding. And to do that, we have to be open. We have to keep our minds and our hearts, particularly our hearts. We have to have that emotional openness to the fact that there is a, that guiding intelligence and that we can access that. 
Okay, Ben. All right. If everyone would say aloha, we can close the meeting. Aloha.